to another distinct nostalgia, and this is a rather special one, another soap edition. Uh, we're remembering Brookside this time with one of, uh, I would say, one of the iconic characters and stars of Brookside. Uh, we'll hear what he has to say in a moment. But this is a special edition of uh, a distinct nostalgia soap episode because we have a uh, winner of a special competition um, which we ran with um, Life Rooms, which is part of the NHS on Merseyside for several people to win the opportunity to come on Distinct Nostalgia and ask questions of their uh, soap heroes. And uh, uh, one of the winners was William Cothlan, who I gather is from Southport, but originally from Ormskirk. And you work for Life Rooms, William. Tell us what you do for Life Rooms on Merseyside. No work for the community matrons and district nurses. Okay, okay. Uh, which is just up the road from Life Rooms. Uh, I'm responsible for doing admin administration, supporting the district nurses and the community meetings with admin uh, within the office. Fantastic, fantastic. And how long have you been working there? About four years. And has the, uh, has the pandemic caused you extra stress and hassle this last few months and things? Yeah, it's been very busy on and off, but it's been busier than normal. Lots of more, lots more work uh, on a daily basis to encounter. Now, Michael is one of your soap heroes. Uh, played Sinbad, of course, in Brookside for many years. Why did you pick Michael? What was it about Michael? Uh, I enjoyed his uh, humour on Brookside. Uh, being a window cleaner, uh, found him very, very easy to get on with in the sense of getting on with people. He used to keep people happy. One of those people who just come, brings the best out in people and he could diffuse situations with people as well and he'd make people's day by making them smile and I think that's... A very important thing, really, making people smile when they're feeling a bit, a bit down. Indeed, it is. So, Michael, thank you for joining us. Uh, obviously, to hey, yo, welcome to all of us, most of us, every one of us, really. If we saw you in the street, we'd probably call you Sinbad, wouldn't we? And I'm sure people still do, don't they? Yeah, they do. I mean, um, I don't get it as much as I used to. Um, the the one time, I mean, well, that's because you've just... got a beard. <laughs> well, that's yeah. That's the other thing. Yeah, that's uh, a, a different part. But um, yeah, the beards uh, helping. But um, no, I mean, people still remember it. It's nice now because people come up, not so much younger kids, because years ago, everybody seemed to watch it. And so you get a lot of younger kids would be coming up on their brave. They don't care what situation you're in. They just come over and say hello and you have to kind of put up with it. It's great. But nowadays, they sort of people come up and sort of say, Hi, yeah. How are you doing? I remember you. You know, and it's nice. You get a nicer sort of reaction. Um, but as Will was saying, the great thing about the character, um, he was that. He he meant that to a lot of people. He was the kind of character that um, went between all the houses and all the families. There was a connection with everyone. Making him a window cleaner gave him that opportunity. So he was nosy as well, and he got around everybody. He got to know all the business, and. Um, and he was a nice guy. He really was a, a nice guy. I mean, you know, he, he'd get into all kinds of scrapes because he'd been living on his wits all his life. So that was part of his personality. But, um, yeah, he, he would go around and uh, be involved with people. It got him into trouble or, you know, but uh, he got to know everybody. And originally came in for three episodes or two episodes, I'm sorry. And, uh, and then... He became quite easy to use. You know, the, the producer at the time said to me, look, you know, we can we can use him. Do you mind coming in? And it suited me because I was doing a lot of theatre up and around the country. And um, 
So the odd episode of Brookie were, were, were ideal, you know, it could keep your profile up a bit. And then it got to a point when I sort of kind of, you know, needed to work. I don't want a young family. And I, I thought, well, I can do one or two things. I can either go and ask the producers for a long-term contract or or just leave. And I was I, I was of a mind to leave, to be honest. Um, and a friend of mine, Franny Harkham, who was a, a first assistant director, who's still at Lime Pictures, as was Mersey TV, he said, look, why don't you go in and see the producer? Just go in. And I thought, you don't do that. You know, that's not... And uh, the producer at the time was a, a lady called Vanessa Whitburn, and I, I thought, oh well, you know, blow it. I'll go in. Try. They can only say no, and if they say no, that's fine. So I went in, and I just said, look, you know, I need to know. Are you going to use the character? Will it, you know, I'm, I'm kind of getting lazy because I'm doing four to five episodes a year, and, and, uh, she just picked up the phone and rang the legal department and said, look, can we have a contract for Michael Stark and bring it down and I signed it there and then and it, it sort of uh, and it took me off having to go and sign on in between jobs and all that I was on a retainer of about £170 a week which was which was great then you know 30 odd years ago but um, yeah so that that was that was tremendous and then I but they made the mistake of giving me a guarantee of of um, uh, 32 episodes which which was really half of what they would normally give you um so that was great so i, I was i was quids in i was happy well we'll talk a bit more about um the, you know the, the situation of getting the the role and and what it did to you at the beginning yeah. and we'll bring uh, william in in a moment with something as well but how much would you say of um obviously i know he was a bit of a, a bit of a rogue in a way in, in certain areas but um, how much of uh, how much of Sinbad is in you, and how much of you is in Sinbad? Would you say? Oh, <laughs> probably. Well, probably about seventy to eighty percent, I think, because the situations were always down to the writers. The situations were the, the program, the storyline, um, how you interpreted them was kind of down to you. And the great thing about having so many really good writers at the time, and they were always. Um, in contact you'd see them all the time because everything was done on site at, at Brookside Close the writers would come in for a monthly storyline meeting they'd come over and have lunch in the canteen we'd be talking you got to know them all and and they'd say you know listen we're thinking of doing this we're thinking of doing that or or they would see things in your character they'd pick up on things that you may have brought to the character and then they'd start to write for that they'd start to write for your strengths or, or weaknesses whatever they they, they thought and um, so it became a very collaborative thing, which is which is a great thing about soaps. Um, if you have that kind of input, uh, we did. N- not everybody, but I think most people did. Did you find, because I've spoken to quite a few people from quite a few soaps over the time I've been doing Distinct Nostalgia, um, Coronation Street forever last year because of the 60th birthday. But um, several people say that um, when you get quite close to writers or get to know them and you have conversations with them chats with them in the bar or whatever it may be that they, <laughs> they 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 sometimes detect they start to pull in things from your own life and you suddenly see that in the script that something similar as has, ha- has happened in real life if you know what I mean yeah that's always a danger I think that's it teaches you never to get too close to the writers you know um a, a lot of the writers at the time wrote for different soaps as well and um sometimes there was the danger that you might see your character taking on a, a sort of 
little uh, aspects of other characters from other shows and you say oh wow oh I, 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 sorry i thought i was writing for you know and, and quite a few of the writers said at the time sometimes they'd be writing halfway through they go oh, hang on a minute after, this is everyday why am i why am i writing for that why am i writing this um but they kept an eye on it. It, it it's a really tough job to write for soaps i mean you know to get everything into a half hour or if um because when it went to sort of three episodes you generally find there may be one or two writers who will write the three so whoever wrote it first then they would set it out and then the third writer would come on the second writer would come along and say right i've got to pick up on that now so they'd have to pick up on it do their own thing and turn it that way it was difficult but they they were aware of that they had a lot of meetings and stuff so um sometimes you'd find yourself you know contradicting yourself possibly or or saying oh God, i've already said that did i say that in the first episode i'm kind of but they have to recap, you know, they have to do that. They have to, and also the audience have to be sort of let in on it as well. You know, they've got to think, well, what, why, why are you doing that? Where are we going with this? Oh, yeah, of course, he's his relationship with this person or that person is like this. You know, it's 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 yeah, difficult. You, you've just got to keep on top of it. You know, it's, it, yeah. I don't nowadays it's it's unbelievable. I mean, I did curry years ago, and 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 the you know, you're doing five episodes a week, and you, you've got six scripts under your arm taken home you well, know keeping up keeping up the be... continuity keeping up the continuity in oh. terms of knowing who's related to who is bad enough for the for the audience never mind never mind the actors you know what i mean I often yeah. i'll watch episodes of cory and i'm thinking well how is so-and-so related to so-and-so and where did he come from and i'm not quite you know it all becomes a bit complicated doesn't it after a while Do you know what's what's funny though with shows like like ours um when you meet people in public a lot of them would say, oh, you're doing this, and, you, and it would remind you because you've shot something six weeks ago, which has only gone out that week, and they'd say, oh, yeah, I like the way that... Oh, what's happening here? Oh, this is going to happen. And they're always ahead of the game. And and they could kind of, you know, remind you, you know, of where you are at any sort of point. Um, because you were always sort of six weeks ahead. You know, you, you what you've filmed is gone. So by the time it's transmitted, you know, that's... You're well, well ahead, you know, but the audiences, uh, they, they're, uh, they're always at least one step ahead of everyone else. Well, let's hear from one of your fans, um, William, who's our uh, special guest today, asking questions. Um, so, William, um, fire ahead with your first question for Michael. Right, the first question: Who did you enjoy working with the most on Brookside, and why? We'll be back after a quick break. You still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping. You feel me? Loading them up on. It, it only takes structure. And, and, you know, just paying attention to the climate of the game. Yeah. Know what I mean? So do do your homies uh got a role in your, in your little, you mean? Yeah, yeah. We all, we all artists over here, man. I'm trying, oh, yeah, I'm trying, yeah. I'm trying, I'm trying, oh, yeah. I'm trying to get them on there. Yeah. 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 Me and my man, like me and my man Kyle, we be like, I don't know, we play, we play with this <laughs> shit right now. I gotta lie, we play with this shit right now for for. Oh, I gotta lie, don't play with it. Don't play with it. No. Take that shit. Uh, well, I'll have to say, um, it's an easy one to answer. I, mean, I enjoyed working with everybody. I, I never had any, but everybody was was different, and everybody had their own wonderful things. But for many years, I worked with Lewis Emmerich. Um, and we were we we ended up living in the same house. He 
tucks him back in as a lodger. So he became part of the family and we became great buddies and um, it was fun. But every day we go into work and it was fun. We developed our own little language, our own little code so we could have, you know, fun together. And then, you know, um, and the kids grew up with us and, and that was great. You know, it, you, and it was nice to be around. It was just... It was nice to go to work and work with people like you liked yeah. and enjoyed. And and also, we we were we, we kind of knew each other so well um, that we, we learned lines together, so we learned them in the same way. And a lot of times on, a say, the end of the week, um, particularly if there was a new director or somebody who'd come in, may be getting a little bit behind in the um, the schedule, they would, they would pull in the people who were considered more experienced. And they'd say, look, you know, we've got to, we've got to get these scenes done. We need to, so we pulled some scenes forward. Um, could you do them on Friday? Friday afternoon was always like we our hardest day, and and a lot of the times they say, well, we're cutting down on shots. We're going to do this on one shot, or we're going to do it on steady cam, which is great, you know. So we would learn it and say it, so we didn't have to cut in, we didn't have to pause, or you know, and uh, it would be more real. So we used to get a lot of scenes like that, and they were great fun, and we would learn them. In, in minutes because we knew the characters so well normally you know you take a script you have to you have to learn it you have to really take it home and let it bed in I mean it's okay learning because you can look on a page and learn all the lines which we could do but the problem with that is you say the lines as you learn them and that's when you lose it a bit so it's nice to well, be that's a good way of learning as well isn't it yeah terrific absolutely terrific you know and um so it was uh it was great fun Lewis was great fun and I was still constantly in touch in fact um, I I messaged him about an hour ago. Um, and we're all well, constantly in touch. He's a great mate. Yeah, I enjoyed Lewis watching him uh, on Brookside as well. Found him quite an interesting guy. I mean, just going on from there. Uh, what is your most embarrassing moment on screen, and how did you overcome the problem? <laughs> there are too many. There are just too many. I, I, mean, I one, Have you got one that stands out? Um. I don't know, not really. No, this is what it's. It's funny that I, um, when people ask you an embarrassing moment. Um, I mean, let me put this in another way. Then okay. I've got a, a, sim, a similar question. Did you ever have any mishaps with your window cleaning bucket? Oh, all the time. Working on the windows. Yeah, all the time. Because I, I haven't got a head for heights. I'm a terrible coward. I can't climb ladders. You never ever saw me climb a ladder. You may have seen me just go up out of shot. You're very, very rare. I think only once or twice you ever saw me up a ladder looking down. Um, I, that wasn't for me. We had a director very early days um, who said to me, right, what I want you to do, you're going to be in the back of shot and we're going to be filming in the living room and we're going to see in the back of shot you coming down the ladder and you're going to slide down. You know the way window cleaners can. You get all the sides and use their feet and slide down the ladder from about 10 or 15 feet up. So I said, no, not for me. And uh, he said, that would look great in shot. And I, and I agreed, it would look really good. I said, but I'm, I'm not designed for sliding down ladders. So he said, um, well, if I can do it, would you have a go? So I said, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, go on. So we did it. And of course, Sod's Lord, he did it perfectly. So the whole crew were looking at me and they're going, well, it's, you know, balls in your court, kid. You know, and I, I did it and I fell on my ass, and then and I never did it again. And I, you know... Um, and wardrobe were going mad because it was mud all over my my costume and everything. So, I said no, never going to do that again. So I would I would sort of 
after once the character was established and had a little bit more clout we could say to people no no i don't do that and i don't do this and, I, and uh, i've got an agreement with the producer that was always a nice one because new people would never go and check with the producer so i'd just say no i have a deal with the producer you never see me up a ladder you never see me up there so i lied <laughs> to get out of it but that i mean there were there were many things that you know um coming on set with the wrong costume on which would, you would think was hard for me because I basically only wore jumpers and jeans um, and a jacket. But, um, you know, sometimes, you, you, I mean, I, I know an episode went out one time and I had a different jacket on. And then, um, it, well, it was over the two episodes, of course. And uh, there was a little bit of a continuity um, problem and we, we were using different wardrobes. So it was my fault because I said, oh, no, no, I'm wearing that for this. I'm wearing this jacket and... So you saw one scene with me in this jacket, but you know that happened a lot. You know, you got to keep your eye on that kind of stuff. I mean, just in your role as Sinbad, did you were you ever a mentor to the younger uh, characters and actors in the? In the Nobody series? took a blind bit of notice of me. <laughs> no, we 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 tried to be because um, you know when I started in this business, there were older people and people I looked up to who were great. I I had a theatre background before coming into telly. Um, I was very, very lucky. And there were a lot of people, people like Sue Johnston and um, people like that in the very early days at Brookie who, you know, could say to you, oh, be careful of this. And, you know, a lot of experienced actors around. Um, I just... But, yeah, the, the, once the, there were a lot of younger people, a lot of younger actors come in, you, you would, you know, try and be there for them because it's very very difficult it be, can be like a bit of a goldfish bowl um, Brookside was not as bad as say the streets or EastEnders or anything like that and the kind of pressure that they had but we would you know you could sit down with, with them and say look you know just be aware of this or be aware of that or you know a, a way of learning your lines little things that you've picked up and you know you might be able to share um, a lot of the the younger actors would come along and they would ask you stuff. So that was always nice. You'd get a chance to say, look, you know, this is what I do or this is this is an idea. Um, and then you get people like Anna Friel who would come along and was just amazing anyway. You know, she, she kind of, um, I don't think there was an awful lot we could have taught her. But she would ask and she was, you know, she was good, great to work with. And a young sister, um, Tiffany Chapman, who played Rachel, was amazing. And she was like... 12 when she came on but she she had an older head and um she was funny and you you try all your jokes out on her she would laugh she was great great fun and of course and sandra maitland who played mandy jordash they, they they'd come in as a satellite story so it was very difficult for them because they hadn't you know they they, they were kind of a, a satellite story they were set on their own um and their only connection with the rest of the close was me or, or Sinbad and um, so uh, yeah I mean people like Anna Friel I mean you see what she's gone on to do now she she had that spark anyway you know we you know we knew there were there were quite a few there were quite a few um, great young actors who decided not to stay in the business you know they moved on and they did other things and, and, and Brookie had sort of come along early for them in life and they may have decided not for me you know and some of them were amazing talents absolutely amazing because when i was watching brookside i found you uh, as a character as an actor a very good role model to everybody uh, of the way you were with people 
they showed you a lot of respect and liked to have a laugh and a joke with you, uh, which I found very to your credit, really. Oh, that's great. I mean, I'm 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 very flattered to hear that. It was it's nice to, you know, to get such a nice reaction from people. But the character was so easy. You know, it, it you you um. Well, to be honest, sometimes playing a character that has so much of yourself in it can can be a bit difficult. You know, you 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 have your own set of instincts. I always used to say you have a set of instincts for the character, and then the, your own instincts, and and you kind of say, well. You know, I knew the character really well. I, I was kind of in a position where I could say to people, you know, well, look, I think he wouldn't do that or he wouldn't say that. Um, or this is how he would do it, maybe. And um, and there was always a little bit of, you, you know, you, you could, um, there was a bit of crossover. You could, you could help each other that way. Um, Joy seemed very bubbly uh, with people. But he was, yeah. Was I mean, still... he, he was. That was the great thing. The thing I loved about him the most was the fact that to you know to answer your question I know I'm I'm going off a little bit but the 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 best thing for me was his fun side he he had this tremendous sense of fun he was a tremendous optimist you know he he um he didn't let life get him down because you know as i say he lived on his wits all his life he was from a children's home he'd been abandoned as a child and all that kind of thing so all those problems he'd had but he'd overcome them he was out from like 15 years of age earning a living for himself but then it became as it went on and let's say this the jordash storyline came along and there were things like that things got a little bit heavy we explored a different side to him we went much deeper and then as finding his mum and um and all that was it was a great storyline and it was very emotional and very very uh, great to play it was you know you could really explore things about him and certainly things that were so different from from my life but it then of course it's it's sustaining that kind of um thing you know over the years and and then remembering because with every storyline then comes a little bit more baggage for the character you know um and and the audience are well aware of it you know they they would say well, how come you're saying this? Because, you know, you felt, yeah, you had to just, you know, take that on board. And so, and then I went, I went to, um, I went and had a meeting with Phil Redmond one time and we didn't have many. We used to pass each other in the corridor, see him in the canteen and say, oh, by the way, you know, you, you're going to be flying a helicopter next week or you're going to be doing, oh, yeah, oh, cheers, Phil, you know. That was kind of the sum total of the storyline meetings. But um, he said to me, um, and this kind of, really struck home he said Sinbad has kind of become the conscience of the program and and that I thought was a really heavy thing because I was going in to say look can I get a bit more humour back in the character can I do a little bit you know, I want to do other stuff and I seem to be involved with so you, you're at mix so all his family problems you know I became the uncle who you know kind of was the buffer between the kids and then everybody else all the heavy stuff so for a long time, I felt he'd stopped smiling, and um, you know, and I wanted to get that back. But unfortunately, by that time, every other writer or whoever thought, "Oh, well, I've got this idea, which would be great for Sinbad to be involved," you know, because we can use him here, and because he's done that before, we can. So I, I never seemed to get away from it. it would seem to be a long time before I, I got back to sort of smiling and funny again. But then, of course, you've changed. The characters changed. 
you know how um, did um how did he get his name wasn't he supposed to be called something else before he wasn't always going to be sinbad was he no he was going to be i think he was going to be called popeye but there was that, I, that's I, a nice name <laughs> well it, it's a sailor's name because i know for a fact knowing window cleaners you know who've people who've come up to me and, and window cleaners that i knew at the time my own window cleaner kev at the time was a very funny lad and um there was always a nautical name because the, the, the Mickey take was, hey, you, you know, make sure you get the corners. Don't clean the windows like portholes. You know, you're not a sailor. So there were names like Hornblower, you know, Popeye, Sinbad. And I think, and I'm not sure, um, but Sinbad wasn't the first choice. Um, Popeye thing, because I think it was too kind of close and too famous a name. But I think also it, it was the Popeye Doyle thing from French Connection. I, I may be wrong, but um, it wasn't so much Popeye the cartoon because that was out of um, uh, copyright or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. But there were, there were three or four, like Nelson, you know, that was, an, you know, but they didn't kind of work. Sinbad was a two-syllable uh, nickname, very easy to use. And, Which uh, I guess suit you. Yeah. Presumably, you, you you probably didn't have a name at all, did you, when you first went into it? No, he didn't. He only had Sinbad. It was it was easy because it was two episodes. And that was yeah, that was it. Yeah, yeah. So a nautical nickname for a window cleaner, local workman, that was easy. But it 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 struck, you know, and and then people would use it, and it became so matter of fact. And then I would hear it so often that it it, it changes the whole. Um, dynamic of the word you know it doesn't become like you know there's a there's a famous american comic called sinbad and um i i see the name and i go oh it's, it looks a little bit strange but you get so used to being called it you know and then and then it was cut down to sin yeah so anybody yeah. who knew me was, was sin i mean when we actually found a name for him when he went to find his mother he he became tom sweeney and um yeah. Sweeney was the name of the guy who was a general manager, uh, Terry Sweeney, who, who, who was a great lad, who was a general manager. At the, and so, oh, we we'll use his name. Um, and then, uh, you know, and Tommy, so that was great. So they used that, but then um, the producer then at the time said to me, oh, we're going we're gonna to call him Thomas Henry Edward Sweeney. So his initials would be The Sweeney, which I, I kind of went, oh, well, okay, you know, fair enough. It, it, for me, it kind of... It, it it made it a, a bit of a mockery, really. I didn't like the fact that they did that because, you know, if you're going to give him a name, then give him a name. But to make it, you know, a joke, I, I just thought kind of, um, you know, took it away from it a little bit. Sinbad suited him and that's, um, that's what I was happy with. Everybody called him. Nobody ever called him Thomas apart from his mum. There's one thing that is on the back of my mind since watching Brookside many, many years ago. Uh... Where was the garage and shops located? Because it wasn't on Brookside Close, because I've been there on a visit, and it's always been on the back of my mind to know where exactly it was filmed. Could you just sort of elaborate on that? So I've got so just, just so I know, as I'm speaking to you, I've never really had the opportunity to speak to somebody from Brookside. And maybe you could sort of answer the question, please. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the, there was a little pathway from the Close, and you sort of you had a sign with Brookside Parade, and that pathway was about three and a half miles long because the uh, garage and the shops were at Chilwall, which was the um, the old Chilwall College. And the company bought that site, 
where they still film Hollyoaks now and um, they, they brought Grange Hill back there a few years ago. So they built a garage and a whole um, little row of shops, um, which was perfect. And it extended the programme off from the close, but not too far away. So you could bring in more characters, more and rather than just going around from house to house. Um, you know, people would be popping into shops. There was a, a nightclub, um, a, a hairdressing salon, a laundrette, you know. Um, everything you'd find in a normal shop. And then and Ron Dixon then had the... The sweet shop, um, but yeah, that was that was yeah with Bev. Well, that was great. I mean, they they were tremendous, and and a great casting. You know, different people, you know, total opposites, and they the chemistry was great. They worked brilliantly, I, I, and you know, Sarah White was just tremendous. You know, she still is, and she's still working, and um, yeah, so it was about three and a half miles away. So uh, you know, you you you'd go down the pathway and then come out another day you'll be filming another day for the you know through the archway distinct nostalgia is produced by mim and if you like what we do then please consider supporting us on patreon every penny helps us to make even more amazing content just for you go to distinctnostalgia.com and click on the donate button thank you I wrote off to, I think, six agents in London. One came back to me, CAM, and I'm still with him now. And then within six months, I got Casualty. He starred in two of Britain's biggest and most enduring drama series. He landed his first big role in Casualty in the 1990s, playing gay nurse Sam Colby. And he went on to play another huge role as Constable Rob Walker in the nostalgic Yorkshire TV drama Heartbeat. And when I started it, I didn't ride a motorbike, so... I had to have these strapping props guys push me into shot without <laughs> seeing them and cut before you saw their hands on the back of the motorbike. I didn't feel very heroic at that point. <laughs> but there's much more to Jonathan Kerrigan than playing nurses and police officers. Join Ashley Byrne for a chat with one of Britain's most talented actors. Every Saturday morning we had a medical training. It'd be all these sort of medical procedures that were coming up in that episode. At one point, I felt confident in being able to perform an emergency needle cricothyroidotomy. But what came out of it is that I learned how to say it, but not necessarily how to do it well. It's dangerous because you get this, this part knowledge of things. I could sell it on camera, but suddenly you think you're probably more competent than you actually are. In conversation with Jonathan Kerrigan. Listen now at distinctnostalgia.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you finding that radio stations aren't quite in tune with you anymore? Try Boom Radio today. You can hear it on DAB. Or you can find us online on your phone, laptop or smart speaker. Boom Radio. Music and conversation for our generation. Boom Radio. It went head-to-head with Blue Peter for the affections of kids in the 70s. It was a magazine. So you open a magazine, you have lots of different things in the magazine, and we always did four or five. And a pie is a sort of surprise, and you never know what's going to be in it. Magpie was perceived as being a little bit more risque, and at its height was pulling in 7 million viewers in its 10-to-5 after-school slot on ITV. 
Just what was Magpie's magic? Yeah, it wasn't difficult to be more hip than Blue Peter. Blue Peter was a conservative show, so there was certainly was an attempt to get some of the Blue Peter audience, but it was meant to be just a bit more interesting and a bit more lively. We've brought back three of the show's presenters for a special reunion on Distinct Nostalgia. We were more like the kids, you know, because we were younger, but there was also a feeling of us being a bit more radical, just a bit more in tune with the people that, you know, watched us. We had seven million people watching twice a week. That's Douglas Ray, Mick Robertson and Susan Stranks. Back soon for a special Magpie reunion, only on Distinct Nostalgia. More than a podcast. Go to distinctnostalgia.com or search wherever you get your podcasts. When you came into it in 1984, this was, Brookside was still fairly new. It had only been on, on air for a, a couple of years. Obviously, it was a baptism of fire for you going into telly because uh, you'd mainly done theatre. But equally, you were a, a unique time in TV history because, of course, nobody had ever done what they were doing on Brookside, which was actually you weren't filming in studios and sets and things. You were filming outside in proper... Uh, houses and all the rest of it. So as well as having the whole baptism of fire of doing telly, you were having to deal with that as well, weren't you? How did all that sort of play out? That was very interesting because I'd had some experience. Um, I'd walk-ons and I'd done extra work and stuff when I, when I was a younger lad and um, worked in studios, had seen all that, worked on locations and stuff. But to actually, you know, going into the house and and then and the, the setup, you know, um like the core kills, I was in the core kills for a long time. It's quite small, and of course, a lot of stuff was filmed in the kitchen. So you could have four or five characters, plus five or six crew, you know, all standing and trying to keep out a shot, trying to keep out a reflection, trying to stop boom uh, shadows happening, and and I mean they they got it down to a fine art. But um, yeah, originally the the houses were bought um, and then adapted with with little what they call little rat runs for cables and things and some of the walls actually moved some of the things that looked like built-in wardrobes were actually a wall and they could move it out the way and and bring people in so they were adapted for that and um people were always amazed because we have we shoot from so many different angles you would get so many angles of of, of a room and um, when people came along for site visits they were always amazed at how tiny everything was because you know you see it in in the one sort of position instead of seeing it on screen where you'd see it from four or five different angles which always made things look huge um and you know people would come onto the close and think how small it was as well you know you did it, it took a little bit of getting used to but because i'd started off with that it was it was a little bit easier for me to adapt uh, a lot of the people who'd been around a lot longer who'd had more experience and done a lot more studio work for them it was it was quite a change but um no, it was all, and the great thing was it, there were so many local people. Everybody kind of just mucked in. Everybody was learning at the same time. Um, like you say, I come in. It was it had been going for almost well at least a couple of years, I think by then. Um, so I felt like I was sort of in quite early on. People think I I was there from day one. I wasn't, but um, yeah, yeah, and and because I did, um, short little stints. 
I could be around, I could pick up things, you know, or go along um, and go and watch some editing and things like that. They, they, were, they were very open to that kind of thing. What would be your typical day then? Uh, what time in the day would you start and what time would you finish? And just as, a, as an idea of what sort of a, a typical day would be? Well, it would be a, a typical week. Yeah, be a, well, it could be depending on how much you had to do. Um, you could be in. It could be a ten-hour day. You know, you come in at eight in the morning, um, makeup and wardrobe. Um, then on to set. Um, years ago we used to rehearse. So if you weren't shooting, you'd be rehearsing, or you would be shooting the eps for that week. But you would also, in between, they would grab you to rehearse what you're shooting next week. Um, but because the schedule then became so tight, they started to rehearse, record. So basically, what you were doing. Um, the directors, they would only concentrate on the, the episodes they were doing. Um, so they'd have a floor plan, they'd have the, the crew, they'd work it all out, they knew what they were going to shoot. So you would come in after makeup wardrobe, you go on set, they'd run through everything, tell you how they're going to shoot it, where they're going to pick it up from. And, you know, you just had to make sure you, you knew your lines and, um, and you were early. Um, and then that could go on, again, depending on how much you had to do. If um, the schedule was a little bit tight or if they got ahead... Which, which happened quite often, they would say, well, we're going to bring some scenes forward from tomorrow, which will give you an easier day. Um, so can you learn them? You've got an hour, you know, or whatever, to learn those scenes. By the time you, 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 you were experienced enough to do that, that was okay. Um, but yeah, the typical day, it was a full day. I always, it was easy for me because I lived 20 minutes away. Um, but I was in all day. I would just say, right, I'm in from eight in the morning or seven, maybe, till five or six, till we finish. Um, I never made any other plans. So if you got away early or, or, or half a day off or something else happened, it was a bonus. So, But I liked being around. I, I just loved working. I, they were just tremendous people to be around. So if you weren't on set, you'd be in wardrobe laughing with everybody or make up with all, all, all the people that worked in there. You know, and the crew, or or the a great favourite was called the sparks. the The sparks on any shoot, the sparks you'll spot them right away. The other guys who stand there looking nonplussed, and they, you know, they all <laughs> seem to dress. And then they at Brookie, they had a a sparks hut where they go for their cups of tea and everything. And they had little charts up. The World Cup would be great. We'd all have a team, and they'd have a World Cup chart. We'd all be in there, and just laughing and 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 getting on with people. You know, we spent so many years there. You know, you. It's a lifetime. Absolutely. Well, you were there for you were there for sixteen years, weren't you? All together. All together. Yeah, ten years full time. I was there, sort of five and a half years, in and out. Um, but you were you. Sinbad, Sinbad definitely became an iconic character. I mean, even Channel Four even did a book about you, didn't they, or something? Was there a book yeah. about Sinbad or something? Yeah, they they did. I mean, I had nothing to do with that. I mean, um, <laughs> Mal Young was the producer at the time and he said oh we've got this book and we're gonna you know write this thing and it's a Sinbad scrapbook and uh, all right okay so they did whatever they did with that but they um just to wind I said oh I said well you know I've got to get a you know, cut of the sales here surely like, no 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 you don't get any you're laughing about it no 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 you don't get any of that and um so um they they the producer Mal said to me one day oh, I need to know he said um Who's Sinbad's football team? Because he's an Evertonian, isn't he? He's a blue, and uh, <laughs> and I I just to just to wind him up, 
I said, no, no, he's not a blue. He said, well, you see, well, he, he asked his girlfriend, Marcia, he proposed to her at Goodison Park on, and it would come up on the scoreboard. And, and I said, yeah, but he didn't want anyone to know. He said, he did that. I said, because he cleaned Howard Kendall's windows. Now, that it was a little joke because we, when he was setting it up in the show, he's on the phone and he's going, oh, that's great. Oh, thanks so much. Cheers, Howard. Thanks for that. So that we, we got that in. So the, the idea was that he cleaned Howard's windows or he knew Howard Kendall. Um, and uh, he said, oh, no. He said, oh, well, we've put him in the bucket. I said, no. I said, he's a, he's a vehement red. I said, because a few years ago, um, there was a, an episode where he went to the European Cup final and it was on. He's a massive red. And he went, oh, no. Oh, my God. What have I done? You know? And I said, no, I'm only joking. But I don't, I don't think he was sort of, he was, an, he was a footballist. You know, he, he never, I don't think he was that bothered about football. You know, he never really, it never became a part of his life. As I say, the only time was, um, you know, the scoreboard thing. I met Howard Kendall years later and I had a fabulous day with him. What a lovely, sweet man he was. You know, I had a tremendous time at a, at a Ken Dodd function, which we laughed and laughed and laughed. And I told him this story, you know, and, and he said he'd heard that. You know, he said he'd, he'd heard that I was, Sinbad was a blue, you know, so... You know, doesn't do him any harm. Now, you had a lot of comedy over the years, didn't you? And your sort of first sort of... I mean, it was comedy right from the start, really. But the first sort of big comedy thing you had was Trevor the Turkey, wasn't it? In Christmas oh, 1984. Yes. Just remind us of Trevor the Turkey. It didn't get Sheila Grant and others a bit sort of upset or something, if I remember rightly. Yeah. Oh, the the idea about that, that was... Um, of course, he would go round the close when he was picking up the window money and say, listen, by the way, have you bought your turkey for Christmas yet because I've got this great deal I can get you a so many pound huge turkey for a fiver and they say oh yeah great oh that's, that's great deal. I said okay put you down on the list so we go round knock them all down they pay him the fiver or give him the fiver when he brought the, the uh, turkey around but the problem was when he brought it around the turkey was alive and uh, and he'd say well, well, you, oh, well you've got to kill it you know you've got to and of course, people couldn't do that. I said, like, well, look, you know, well, look, you've got to give me at least a deposit then, you know, I'll get half the money. So that was the scam, you know, and people go, oh, here, here, or, or they give them the full five and say, just go away, you know. And um, and it was very funny. Uh, and and with everything, it was all, it, it come from truth. So someone's done that somewhere. And then, of course, um, Harry Cross and Bill Dean, I mean, he was great fun and a, an old an old timer and, in the sense that he, he, you know, he couldn't get anything past him, but his character Harry was was wonderful, and that that downbeat look, that that you know, po face, the hang dog expression, and of course he wasn't bothered, and he went, "Give us it here, I'll kill it," and he takes it. So there's my scam ruined. Also, my pet turkey's gonna die, and he took it off me. So I'm left on the doorstep thinking, "Oh my god," you know, and of course he couldn't do it. You know, him and Edna was sat there in the kitchen looking at the turkey. But the turkey was treated like a superstar because um, we were sh shooting that and was freezing in those episodes. And um, when we came on set in the morning, I'd been in makeup and wardrobe already, cup of tea, on set. Right, what are we going to do? Oh, we've got to wait for half an hour until um, Trevor warms up. Um, he's in the garage with the heaters on and the uh, people who look after him. Or keeping him warm so he doesn't get too cold when he comes out on set. I said, he's a turkey, but no. A fellow artist, he's got to be treated right. He's probably an equity member as well. So Probably is. Go on, William, you got another question? 
Yeah, just a question, uh, not directly to do with Brookside, but when you left Brookside, I believe you went on to do some pantomimes. I'm just wondering what sort of characters have you played within your acting career uh, since leaving Brookside within pantomimes? Oh, well, pantomimes, I, I'd done pantomimes anyway because I'd done, um, I was at the, the Everyman um, very, very early on and we used to do the rock and roll pantos. So I was used to doing that, and I love pantomime. I, I I just think you know it's tremendous. Um, and when I left Brookie, of course, you know pantomime companies they want to get somebody who's just been on telly or something they can put on a poster. So the offers kind of come in, and they're quite lucrative. And it's nice, you know. You think, well, you know, I'm coming out. This will, this will finance the next six months or whatever it is, or you know, pay your tax bill, all that kind of thing. Um, and it'd be great fun. Because you're generally working with people who are in the same boat, you know, and uh, or people you've met before, and then they're all young, up and coming people, you know, and uh, they're just tremendous shows to do. Hard work, two shows a day. And my first one was at um, Cardiff New Theatre when I left Brookie in two thousand, and it was eight weeks all together, and it was two shows a day, and it was and sometimes three, and really, really hard work. I worked with Sonia, and um, Rob Duncan from Drop the Dead Donkey and other things. and um, But it was great. And then, you know, as the years go on, you know, you if you're still sort of, you know, hanging in there and people remember who you are or there's something you can put on a poster, you'll get offered pantos if you want to do. I've done some with my wife as well um, and because she's an actor. And, and um, so that's great fun. Um, yeah, I mean, it just depends. I mean, you know, lately in the last few years, I've done Christmas shows at the Royal Court, because it's at home and it's nice to work at home. I mean, can you think of one situation out of your pantomimes which stands out the most uh, that you'll never forget? Because I know you've done a lot of pantomimes by the sounds of it. Yeah. I mean, is there anything that, anything that stands out uh, over the years that you'll never forget? I'm not saying embarrassing moments, but something that stands out in your career that, that lives with you for the rest of your life. Just... Well, could be anything, could be somebody, or it could be an event, or it could be a particular pantomime. Well, there was one, uh, <laughs> there's, one there's a, there's a, a story, and I, of course, I won't give any names, or I, I did a, a, a pantomime, and um, there was a, a little boy who was absolutely brilliant. I mean, absolutely. Great actor, great singer, but he, he used to intimidate the other kids. He was very good, and uh, but he would give... The other children notes, you know, come and say, "Well, you're doing this wrong. Are you doing it?" Sure. And they were sort of intimidated. And uh, anyway, cut a long story short, we, just to wind him up, he had to be flown, and they, you know, uh, the harness and then he fly into the wings. And um, I picked up one of the water cannons that we would use in the first half of the show. You're finding at the audience, and I sort of didn't think it was pumped up, and I went and it, I soaked him. And he was on this, on this harness. So when he flew back on stage, he was dripping wet and every, all the kids were laughing. And I, so um, in the interval or, or after the show, in between the shows, he knocked on my door, my dressing room door, and um, he was about eight, nine years old. And I looked down and there's this little lad and he, he gave me the biggest telling off that I've ever had in my life. And he said, well, I suppose you think you're professional. I suppose you think that was funny. That could have been... I couldn't, I literally just couldn't answer the kid. You know, I, I, I ended up having to just close the door on him. You know? 
know, because it was uh, it, it was absolutely right, of course. And and I've and I've lived with that. I'm thinking, you know, if I go back to that town doing another show, I mean, that I mean it's like twenty years ago. But um, there might be a knock on my door and say, "Oh, remember me? I remember you." But uh, <laughs> there were a lot of things. I mean, you're going on. I mean, I remember walking on in the scene once, um, which I wasn't in, and um, I I sort of looked and the other actors looked at me and I so I put my hands out and went, pretended to sleepwalk and walked off and it got a laugh and the producer said oh keep that in you know we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll have that you know um it's just generally with, with, with panto you know sometimes especially if you do three shows a day there are times when you go actually have I done this scene have I done this have I have I already said this have I and you could get them mixed up you, you know you you could saying all kinds of dialogue from the first act or vice versa, you know, and uh, you have to be very careful. But lo- lots of things, I mean, you know, funny things or things go wrong or you, you fall and, you know, um, kids love it. Going back, going back to, to Brookside, just a few things I've got um, of highlights to remember throughout your uh, period there. Obviously, you had quite a long relationship, friendship, connection of course, with Jimmy Corkill, didn't you? Because your character, yeah. Jimmy Corkill, were pretty close. And, of course, he was there right to the end of Brookside, wasn't he? Uh, that, that yes, he was. What, tell us a bit about that about that relationship and how that emerged. Did you enjoy playing uh, playing uh, the, the, the things alongside, uh, I've forgotten his name now, the actor who played Jimmy Corkill? Uh, Dean Sullivan, Dean yeah. Sullivan. I mean, tell us a bit about those. Oh, Dean, well, our characters were kind of from the same mould, you know, um, although he'd had a sort of, a family upbringing, the Corkills were kind of famous family, you know. Um, but we were, you know, from the same mould. So generally when, when Sinbad was involved with Jimmy, it was usually a scam or, you know, something, they were up to something, you know, and uh, something could go wrong or disastrously wrong, you know. Um, so a lot of the stuff was, was... Then, of course, Jimmy's character grew and, and then moved on and, you know, he got involved with the drugs and everything else really heavy with him um so i wasn't for for many years we 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 were kind of just crossing each other but when we did it was almost it was like a telepathic thing it was almost as if all right sin all right jim what are you doing we 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 could tell each other something because we we were kindred spirits you know there was a lot they were very similar they were kind of you know two ends of the same stick if you if you like um bit of a double act weren't they a bit of a double act yeah they they were you know they they you know, it, it, it's a shame there, there was not more fun, really. But, um, you know, as I say, characters move on. And, uh, and Dean certainly did. I mean, he became, you know, involved with so much. When, and then when, when Jackie Corkill came back, Sue Jenkins came back into the show, that took it on further. And, and Sinbad lived with them for some time. And that used to be fun because he, I'd be sat in the middle of their arguments, you know. And um, it, it, was, it was funny one day, Lewis Emmerich and I came into... Um, um, the the green room it was early in the morning, and um, Sue and, and and Dean were kind of talking to each other, and they, they were having a debate over something, you know. And I'm thinking, oh, they're running lines, so we make a cup of tea, keep it quiet, you know. And then it was about five minutes into it when I realised they were just they were talking about some TV show or something. When they thought, I mean, that's that's not in the script, you know. Um, it was so real, you know. The and and Sue Jenks was one of the those people I would say was like a a drama monitor. She, you know, she she could set the bar quite high, you know. She yeah. was always consistently good, and very sort of true to the character. So, 
you know, she would, um, she was an inspiration yeah. that way. Brookside had, um, obviously, when it first started off, it was very gritty. You know, in in many ways, you think of um, Sue Johnson and um, Ricky's characters right at the beginning, you know, the Grants, uh, and you look at their characters in the royal family and you think that they're completely different, totally different characters in the sense that yeah. they, they were playing, I mean, they, they, those... It was very downbeat, wasn't it? Right at the very beginning, a lot of Brookside yeah. really down, and then it changed as the years went on. You had a bit of a bit, a bit more sort of um, uh, comedy, as you say, uh, but the drama was always it tended to be set in some kind of reality because I think Phil always wanted it to feel real, didn't he? But then oh, you yeah. had this situation with this this body under the patio, and you were part of that storyline, weren't you? you? You're the one who covered it up, weren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, people um, used to say to me for years, "Oh, you buried the body," and I, I never buried the body. I dug him up, um, and and that was that was very heavy. That was kind of the the start of the real change for me. Um, that storyline, and again, because it was easy, he, you know, Sinbad would be round at the house, being friendly, you know, cleaning the windows, getting to know people, and he was aware that. There was a bad situation there, and then being nosy, he kind of decided to investigate slightly, and he, he realised what was going on. So he uh, he became very protective of the family anyway. When the the whole storyline went on, and they did away with the dad, with with um, Trevor, um, and buried him in the garden. Um, what happened was they thought they were in the clear. But as with all soaps, no one gets away with it. No, there's always a price to pay, you know. And uh, so a, a body was discovered um, in the Mersey, and it had been a poor old down and out. It had been in there for some time, so they identified the body as Trevor. So that was it. They thought they were in the clear, and then Trevor's sister turned up and said, "Oh well, you know, you've identified him. You must have the famous family heirloom, which was a a, a ring." And they thought, oh, the game's up, you know, we've got to get the ring back. Uh, so they said it was somewhere being repaired or something. What are we going to do? We've got to get the... So the long uh, the long shot of it was um, Sinbad volunteered to dig up the body and retrieve the ring so they would have it and then they would be in the clear. Of course, you know, it all went sort of pear-shaped. But um, I remember that scene. I mean... There was no dialogue. I had a scene with Anna Friel and it was one of those things that you always remember. Of all the things I've I'd done there over the years, this was a favourite scene and there was no dialogue. Um, I had to dig up the body. Uh, Anna, Beth would come out and, and I would find it and then suddenly, you know, panic and, and, and have a complete meltdown. Did it challenge you doing that? Yeah. I mean, it was, it, the big thing about it was... was um, it was all. It was a night shoot, uh, and as I say, no dialogue. Although we rehearsed and we knew what we were doing, for uh, it was a first as well because we used about three cameras, so we didn't have to cut in. The crew were hidden away in the garden. It was about sort of half eleven at night because it was summer, so we had to wait until it was dark, and we we didn't hear anything. So you know, you kind of you hear actors say, you know, I got in the zone. I had to be in there. It really was one of those moments where. You know, you think it, it, it. This is you know we've got to get this right, and um, and I was worried because we were going to get to this point where all of a sudden we hear this, you know, the 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 spade strike the bag, 
and then he, he he has to break down and i thought oh what if i can't cry or oh, whatever happens what am i going to do so um davy jones who who was um very famous um prosthetics um genius now he worked on doctor who and everything he's won an emmy and everything he was uh, on our makeup department at the time he said look i'll give you some they called BAFTA stick. I said, what's that? I said, it was a stick of menthol. Put it on your finger. When you get to the point where you think you've got to cry, if, if you don't think the, the tears are going to come, get a little sniff, you know, try, you know, try and be discreet. Oh, yeah, great, great, great idea. So I said, well, put quite a bit on because, you know, I'm digging away. It might rub off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we get through the scene, get to it, um, get to it. And, and the tears just came. They literally just came. There was no problem. Everything just burst out, you know. And and what was wonderful, Anna Friel's shadow comes over the, the grave as it were, because she opens the back door and the light, and she was tremendous. And she comes in, climbs down into the the hole, and goes to take the spade from me, which then gives him that push. You know, he thinks I, I can't let this beautiful young kid with big blue eyes, and she's crying. She was like sixteen, you know. I I can't let her do this. I've got to do this. So he carries on, and that gives him that impetus. And she did something that we hadn't rehearsed that it kind of really got me um as i carried on digging i put my head down but she she put a hand on my head you know as, as a, just for a comforting thing and i and i i went again it was it was it just touched every emotion and um gave it a few more seconds and the director said cut and we jumped in the air we got it in one we knew it was great and I went, oh fantastic and I, all the tears and i wiped my eyes and i forgot i had this bafta stick on my finger and i went ah, and I, all this mental stuff went in my eyes and I actually, I burned my eyes, you know, quite badly. Um, I couldn't see. <laughs> Everyone was looking after me, putting gold water presses and everything. And I had to leave my car and um, one of the um, crew drove me home that night and I got home about half oh, twelve, one o'clock in the morning and my wife was saying, what's going on? My eyes were out here, you know, and uh, she thought, oh, wow, you put a lot of emotion into that. I said, no, I've just burnt my eyes like an idiot, you know. But it was uh, just, I mean, th those were... You know, they're the things you remember, you know. Um, but that was a great scene to do. I mean, and that had such an impact. I mean, the the, the, the people were... We were the first show to run a, a helpline under the on screen during the credits. And the, the reaction from the public was absolutely phenomenal. It just... Well, I've never known anything like it, you know. Distinct Nostalgia is produced by MIM, and if you like what we do, then please consider supporting us on Patreon. Every penny helps us to make even more amazing content just for you. Go to distinctnostalgia.com and click on the Donate button. Thank you. Are you finding that radio stations aren't quite in tune with you anymore? Try Boom Radio today. You can hear it on DAB, or you can find us online on your phone, laptop or smart speaker. Boom Radio, music and conversation for our generation. Boom Radio! Our series on comedy writing legends continues as we meet the man behind Britain's favourite grump. I was always very concerned that um, however outrageous and seemingly incredible the plot lines I came up with were, that the key to making them sort of palatable was for the characters to react in a believable way. 
And so that's really why Victor ended up saying that all the time, was because that he couldn't believe it either. We've been sitting down for a bumper chat with one of Britain's most talented writers and the man who created the legendary character Victor Meldrew in the now iconic sitcom One Foot in the Grave. My dad had taken early retirement, so that seemed to be a device that I felt I could use to my advantage. I mean, it was really about someone with a lot of time on their hands who was just very disgruntled with life around him and you know so I could kind of use it as a bit of a a vehicle for my own complaints and moans about litter in particular. Comedy writing legends in conversation with David Renwick coming soon on Distinct Nostalgia. More than a podcast. And don't forget we've an extra one foot in the grave treat Scroll our feed to find an interview with the wonderful Doreen Mantle, who played Mrs. Warboys. Go to distinctnostalgia.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Only on Distinct Nostalgia. When I ran out of children's books, I used to read from Woman's Own. Who knew a four-year-old would be gripped by an article on cross-stitch? We're uniting the ages with Generation Games, a series of comedy and drama monologues and duologues coming exclusively to distinct nostalgia. Stories exploring connections, friendships and relationships between people across different age groups, beginning with Missing You, starring June Brown and Sam Barnard. Mum thinks I need protecting, but I need protecting from love. Pity that social worker of his can't do something useful for a change. Contact the noise abatement lot. Put in a complaint. I like her, I said. And then, silence. What's the problem? I asked. She'll take advantage of you, Mum warned. Missing You by Richard Verjet, With the legendary June Brown only on Distinct Nostalgia. More than a podcast. Going back to the early years for a second, uh, obviously Ricky mentioned Ricky Tomlinson, who was obviously in the from the very beginning, and he was still there when you when you were in it, wasn't he? He was still still in, yeah. in Brookside at that point, um, because I remember I was only a young boy at the time. I remember uh, the obviously Brookside became quite a big thing. There was a lot of focus around the grants. I remember I remember the characters Damien Debbie Damien and Debbie having a spin off at one point. Uh, you know, a lot of the young people really liked their characters and they had a spin off and all that kind of stuff. What was it like working with Ricky? I mean, because he's a real character in real, real life, isn't he? As well as uh, on, on, on set, as it were. What was it like working with Ricky Tomlins? Well, just to say, I mean, you know, talk about laughs, you know, anything for a laugh, Ricky. I mean, I'd known him before before Brookie. And, uh, you know, I'd known him for a, a couple of years. And, and uh, he just, you know, when he was on set, he knew something was going to happen. You know, he, he was a practical joker and uh he'd have a, a nose on his face you know whatever when it came to his shot and you know putting you off and and trying to make you laugh it was all good fun it just you know eased the pressure everybody he, he was always up ricky always up and and kind of you know um laughing and and you know you never you never never saw him down you know and uh i mean his his character sort of he was a union man very very close to kind of what he he is in real life and I think that's why Phil Redman wanted him, um, but that fun side to him was was never, 
you know far from the surface. I mean, I, I don't I, I don't know how Sue Johnson put up with him, so because she's, but she's got a great sense of humor as well, you know. And uh, but again, she's like like Sue Jenks, you know. She was one of those people that would inspire you, you know. Her, her performances were always true and amazing, and uh, she just always seemed to be in control. See, just tremendous. They're great. Um, I, funnily enough, I, I I met Carolina Hearn on the train one time. Um. And uh, it was many, many years ago. We had a mutual friend and John Thompson, and um, we were chatting away. And she was only for a few minutes, and uh, she said she's she had this idea for something, and she'd love Ricky and Sue to play a mum and dad in this thing, which obviously was the royal family. And uh, yeah, so that that was interesting. But always fun. I mean, just never stop. Yeah, 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 and and um, and of course, you would eventually leave Brookside in two thousand. Um, was that your decision, or was it a decision on behalf of the 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 writers themselves? They thought that Sinbad had come to a natural end. What was the what was the situation with that? No, no, it was it was totally my decision. Um, as I said earlier, I, I I kind of I wanted to see that fun coming back, which I felt had gone a bit. Um, and I I wrestled with it because I had a young family, um, you know, nothing to go through. I, was, I I talked it over with my wife, and she's an actor, so she understands. And and I said, yeah, I think maybe two thousand. It may be the right time to go. You know, you have little voices in your head. I had sort of inquiries about other little jobs and things, which I thought, oh. I, that would have been nice to do, and I and I was thinking I'm I may stay here too long. It may affect me too much. It may already have affected me too much, and I decided, you know, I'm I'm I was really thinking about leaving, and then there was a storyline, um, that came up, over which I I had absolutely no control. I didn't like it. I didn't agree with it, and um, but I felt that. It wasn't being treated the way I would have liked it to have been, you know. And so, I thought, yeah, it's 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 time to go. It would me- it would have meant a change for the character, which was, you know, I thought went against everything that I'd done in the previous fifteen, ten years, whatever it was. And so I just said, well, look, um, this is going to be my last contract. Um, and I, I was talking to the producer at the time, and I said, look, you know. I feel that this may be the time to go. And he said, oh, right, oh, have you spoken to Phil? I said, no, so um, I better go and see him. And before I say anything else, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to Phil because we always had a, a decent relationship. And uh, I always felt the book stopped with Phil. Um, you know, I could always get what I wanted to hear or wanted to say. I could always say it to him. Never felt that I had to, you know, skirt around anything. I could just go, this is it. And and this he was the same, and so I went and told him, um. But it was funny because I I rung his secretary Donna, she great girl, and she said, I said look I need to speak to Phil, you know, can I get to see him at any time? She said, and this was like Thursday, you know, and uh, she said, oh well, he's really busy. It was just a really particularly busy time. She said he's got Tuesday at two o'clock, between two o'clock and quarter past two on Tuesday. Can you do? I said that's fine. That's all I need. I said, okay, so. Tuesday, I had a whole weekend to think of what I was going to say. So I went up Tuesday, go into his office. I'd only ever been in his office three times in all the time that I'd, I'd known him. And uh, once was at the office in Brookside, by the way, and then twice at, at the Chilwell office. 
And I walked in, I said, Phil, um, I'm, I'm leaving. This is going to be my last contract. That's the first thing I said to him. And he went, right, okay. Pressed the button, Donna, hold all calls, cancelled meetings. And I sat with him for about three and a half hours. And we went through everything. And I just told him why and how I felt. And, and he was cool about it, you know, and just said, great, you know. And, and, and in fairness, he could have finished me the following week, he could have said, well, look, you know, we'll pull the storylines, whatever we've gone in, we we may do this, we may do that. Um, and uh, he didn't, you know, he kept me on. and Because you get a guarantee of episodes. All he had to pay me was my guarantee of episodes. I wasn't worried about that. So, um, yeah, I stayed until about October time, you know, to finish. So when I finished, I, I came out and I literally did casualty i did a film and then i did the panto right away it, literally I, I got a film the day after i left brookie so um so, so that worked out quite well remind us how sinbad uh, left brookside how did sinbad actually leave brookside just for a new well um, well the thing was that they their choices were quite limited then um and phil had said before if he if he loses a main character it, it can harm the program it can have a, a detrimental impact on the program so what they like to do is kind of wind the character down or even in some cases change the character so that the audience are fed up of seeing them and the audience really want them to go <laughs> you know i understand that that's kind of you know is a duty to the program and i thought oh it could be one of you know a, a situation like that but because the storyline it was very contentious and uh, it fizzled out and so in the end, he, he went off, he he, um, he fell for the mum of the, the lads he was looking after. And, and my mate Polly Hyten played um, the mum. And uh, so that was a nice touch. And we just went off one day, decided to leave. He said goodbye to to Mick. Um, I, I was a little bit annoyed because it was a, an end of part one instead of an end of ep. I thought he should have had, you know, an end of episode. That would have been, but it was end of part one. That was the other producer's idea of, uh, you know, I'll show you kind of thing. If you'd been in, if you'd been in EastEnders, you'd have got Julia's theme, wouldn't you? Oh, would they got? You've been there a long time. Yeah, did they got all that? You know, probably. But it was it was a bit of a damp squib when he left. I was glad to go by that time. I mean, I've missed it ever since. I knew I would. Um, but I, I knew it was the right decision and I was glad to go. And um... But it wasn't long, it wasn't really long after you, I mean, you left in 2000, the show ended up being axed in 2003, so it wasn't long uh, before that happened. I mean, William, I mean, I'm sure as a Brookside fan, that we're talking about 18 years ago now, but it, it's still very, very much missed, isn't it? I mean, particularly on Merseyside, but generally it's it's a much missed programme, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I missed uh, Miss Brookside. Uh, I the other week went down to Brookside Close to have a little look round just to see what the estate was like because I've never really been there, to be honest. I've always wondered where it was, but until I did a bit of homework and asked a few people, uh, went and had a little look, and it was quite quite a big estate, uh, just near Croxton, sort of that area, West Derby area. And I found it quite intriguing, and I took lots of photographs of uh, of Brookside Close and the houses. Uh, I found it very touching, really, and it was a shame that I couldn't go down there when I was when this show was actually in ex- in existence. Uh, but I believe from people that you couldn't actually go down to the close when 
when it was actually used as a for filming, apparently. Yeah, it was. It, we had a security hut, um, and there was a barrier. I, I interesting. I, I um, a, a good few years ago, um, my wife's sister lives not far. She was about a, a mile or so away from the close, and um, I had to drop her off one night, and and then I said, "I oh, come and pick you up." They were going, you know, whatever they were doing, have a fa- family conflict, and I decided to just drive down. And have a look, and I'd not been there. I, I when I left the close, I didn't look back. I had that in my mind. Never look back. I'm never going to go back there. It's I will see the people when I see them, um. But never go back. You know that's it. Close the book, and I drove in, and of course it, it had been in a state of disrepair for many years, but it had been redone again, and, the, and whoever owned them now had had done it to the way they were originally, so it actually looked like Brookside. You know, it was quite eerie. And I parked the car and I was just looking. And then someone was walking toward me. And it was a, a, a man. And he said, can I help you? Can I help you, mate? Because obviously it looked strange. Someone parking the car and, you know, and nosing at the houses. And obviously thought, oh, another sight's here. Because they do get a lot of them. I went, oh, no, no, no. no. And, I, and I drove off quickly. And I thought, if he, if he sees me and recognises me, you know, um, it, it might be, uh, it, it could be in the, the, from you know, the local news or whatever. So I drove off. Um, but that was quite interesting. And then I went back a, a year or two back. Um, and I did uh, a documentary thing. Um, oh, I forget what it was called, but it was, uh, you know, I was revisiting the close, and um, people, and I had a ladder with me in a bucket because we were doing a little brookie feature, and the people that were living there came out and said hello, and um, it was it was nice, and and they were saying, oh, what you know, what's this, and you know, and they were telling me about people coming to the houses and looking in the windows of a night, you know, thinking that. Jimmy and Jackie still live there, or you know the the Grants still live there, and um, that was really interesting. And then one lady said to me, "Oh, she said um, you did panto with my daughter when when you left. She worked with you, and that's so it was a nice little touch. It was, uh, and it was nice because there'd been uh, so many years between it. You know, I, you know, I decided you know I can I can revisit it and embrace it a little bit more than I did. So why why do you think it? ended in 2003 why i mean what i remember about it was that they kept moving it around the schedules it was on late at night it was it wasn't in the same place that it was do you think there was a yeah. a concerted effort by the channel in a way to sort of to kill I it off i suspect it was it was politics i mean i don't really know i mean um there was always talk about it may come off or it has a certain longevity you know um when it gets to 21 years you know that may be the time for it to go. That was a. There were often sort of rumours, but really didn't know. I didn't expect it to come off, but um, I couldn't keep up with it. You know, even trying to tune in, say, oh, what, what, what times it on? Where's it? You know, I, I still had mates there, so I knew there was, you know, what they were doing. You, you tune in and kind of watch what was happening, and yeah, I thought, well, well, what's happening here? I suspect it's just politics and TV. I think in general, the way things were changing and. Uh, and then of course it, it it went so it was it was, but it, it's interesting that there's a sort of um, a little groundswell of people who want to see it return, you know, and uh, and come back and maybe I don't know how possible that is. I mean, the, well, you weren't ki- you weren't killed off, so you could return very easily. Well, you? you know, possibly, <laughs> but I think he's he's gonna. You're very rarely in real life when I mean I grew up on a on a an estate 
And once you leave, you kind of very rarely go back to live on the estate. I think if it was to happen, it would be an opportunity to bring in a whole new generation of people, you know, new actors, lo and loads of great Liverpool actors who may not get a, a, a shout normally. Um, I know loads of them and they could just come in and if it, if it was to happen. But then if you're getting a lot of new people in a lot of new situations, then of course the world has changed so much. TV has changed. Um, then why call it Brookside? I mean, why call it? You know, I mean, it's a nostalgic thing. Maybe. Well, they brought they brought Crossroads back, didn't they, for a little bit? Do you remember? Yeah, they did. Yeah. <laughs> they brought back all the uh, several of the old characters and just killed them all off. That was the annoying. Well, the they annoying did. Thing yeah, that's that, that's true. You know, um, we went to uh, an award ceremony when they had um, the, the uh, was it families and 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 all these people were killed. They killed off the whole cast and they were great sports they all turned up at the the, the uh, tv awards the following year we had a great time with them all um but yeah i mean i, I, I brookside because of the name people would you know there's a lot more interest um, but of course a few years later you decided to go back into soap and ended up back in you know in in coronation street in a different role yeah. from 2007 to 2008 which must have been quite difficult for both you and Corrie in a way, because even though you'd left, you know, even though Brookside was a distant memory of what seven years, people would still see you, wouldn't they, as Sinbad? So yeah. for me, when I was watching Corrie, it was oh, Sinbad has moved into Coronation Street. I didn't think yeah. of your new name at all, you know. I think that was the problem, and I mean, um, I knew that from the off because um, the the producer at the time was a, like called Steve Frost, who had produced the Royal, which I was doing. Um, and that was that was great fun. That was very different. I I loved the Royal, and that was um, you know, a, a, a sister show to Heartbeat. And Steve, we we were chatting one night, and uh, he was going to uh, Coronation Street, and he said, "Oh, you you you'd you'd love Coronation Street." And and I, funnily enough, I'd met Bill Roach a few times at various things, and he used to say to me, "Oh yeah, you know, you'd be great in our show." Why? Hi, and we'd have a laugh about it, and and um, I had friends there. And uh, then the opportunity came up, and I and I, I wasn't keen. I, I I didn't think it would work, and I said to Steve, "Look, you know, I I, I don't think you know. I, I think the Sinbad character is too well known for it to fit in 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 Corrie. And and he rightly so said to me, well, "Look, Coronation Street's huge, millions and millions of viewers, and we can do anything with it." And and he said to me, "What? Well, well, you know, if if you were to get." be offered the part what would you like to see and I was like well I'd have a gang of kids which I think he'd already said there was a, there was a gang of kids involved who'd been scattered all around the place and they're all brought back together Um, I said no nickname and you know give them up you know there were a few things I said and then you know so they offered me it and I kind of thought well yeah you don't turn down Coronation Street, do you? I mean, for however long. I mean, I I did about eighteen months or so there, which was which was great. It's on my CV, and and, and you fact, know what they should have. You know what they should have done. They should have brought you in as. Uh, it should have been. You should have been. You should have come into it as Simbad. Simbad <laughs> found himself in Coronation. Street that, as would have, that, that would have, that would be like a, a clash at the space time continuum, wouldn't it? Yeah. That would have been, but when worlds collide, um, you worked with you worked with a, a great little actor, I think, in that uh, Johnny Dixon, who played your son. Oh, it's amazing! Yeah. Oh, tremendous! He's a brilliant actor. I saw. I, I watched him in that comedy series called 
him and her, yeah. which they probably got rid of after two series, which I think was ridiculous. That, I mean, he was brilliant. Oh, in that. he was Absolutely tremendous. He, sta- he stayed for a while because he's a big pal of, of um, Jack Jack Shepherds, and um, they're, they're really big pals. And he stayed for a while. I, I love Johnny Dixon. I know the kids. My my kids in the show were were tremendous, and um, just great fun. But it kind of you know the the press don't let go. They don't give you a chance. You know they they. Oh, Sinbad's and Sinbad, and Sinbad's, you know, it's so it's the Sinbad, 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 Sinbad. So you never get a chance to do anything, and then you know it. It is hard for the for the program. It was hard then for Coronation Street because the storyline went it was wavering. It it, it kind of lost its way, you know. And I think, and when I went in there, there was something like sixty characters, um, and they've all got to be catered for and looked after and it's difficult for new people to come along and establish themselves um you know uh the battersby's had a, a an horrendous time when they first went in and they and they were just pilloried by the press and then after a while you know they they got their feet under the table it worked and then and then everybody loved them they, you know it was and, and it generally happens if you stick with it but for us it didn't seem to have a, an anchor anywhere you know we um so was it also quite? You talked about it being a you know quite a, a new thing. Obviously, when when you went into Brookside, was it equally daunting to go into something like Coronation Street when you got people like you know Barbara Knox and all these other people who've been there for donkeys years and you're working with them? I mean, obviously, you've been an actor for a long time, but Coronation Street is such an institution, isn't it? Well, interestingly enough, the the people like that were all, were the easiest because. You know they were welcoming, and you know they'd been there. So you kind you look at them, oh, you know, you kind of feel at home with them. Not that it's you know bad anywhere else, but everyone else is kind of uh, they're sort of treated differently. There's you know the schedules are different, and they are respected and iconic, and you know, um, immovable. Um, and and I I knew Bill Tarmy sort of reasonably well, and he was wonderful. And Annie Kirkbride, you know, she she was lovely. And so there was, it was quite easy, really. And everybody, everybody's in the same boat. They're all working. There's no time to sort of sit and, and wonder where you are. You just got to kind of go and, and do it, you know. Um, but there are those moments, and it's nice. I, I had a lovely, um, lovely story about Eileen Derbyshire, and she, when I was a kid, she was Miss Nugent. I mean, I'm going back. Oh, shows you how old I am. And then Emily Bishop, of course, and she was such a rock in the show. And uh, we were in the scene and it was a kid's party. So we sat in the back of shot. So we knew we were going to be there all day. And we had to, so we were making small talk and we're chatting away. And she was lovely. She, she talked about some of the great things in the times and the things she'd seen. Because I was a new person, you know, I hadn't heard these stories. And she said, oh, you know, this, it was lovely. I, I, I can't tell you how lovely those couple of hours were. And we didn't have to do anything but just sit and gab. And at the end of when they cut, they, they cut and said, right, lunch. We got up and I followed her to go out for lunch and she couldn't find the door. And I'm saying, how long have you been here, Eileen? And it was because they changed the set round. And it was a little bit disorientating. You know, we we had a big laugh about that. It was a bit of a spinal tap moment when you're looking to, for the door and going, well, I'm sure it's this way, isn't it? I gather she's a real, she's a real character. And it's funny, isn't it? Because she, she doesn't give any interviews ever. Yeah. She never gives interviews. Yeah. She's you know, she's a very quiet lady in that sense, press wise. Yeah. And uh, I I interviewed um, Martin Hancock who played Spider. Yes, and he says yes. you know they just had tremendous fun together. Oh, you know, she was, was lovely, 
great sense of humour and been there such a long time. She'd seen it. I mean, she was in from about episode five, I think, because I know Bill Roach was episode one, but she, she'd been in, you know, all that time and seen everything, you know. She talked about when the Beatles came, you know, and uh, they did Granada reports and th and they were around and they're all young girls at the time. And, uh, oh, amazing. Just, just, and it's just a treat to be able to sit there with people like that because I love stories and I, and I you know, um, yeah. listening to, to somebody like her, you know, with all that wealth of, of, of and all those memories, you know, it's just an absolute treat. Now, you, as well as the soaps and television and theatre and whatever, you've also done films and things as well, haven't you? And you didn't you work alongside Kenneth Branagh at one point? I did. Well, um, that was interesting. Um, um, Ken's the brother of um, Joyce Branner, who's a director, and I, I worked for her. Oh, well, I yeah, I she's well. great, tremendous, tremendous. And, um, yeah, I, I'd, I'd done um, a thing called... Uh, oh, this, the play, what I wrote. And this was at, right after leaving Brookie. And um, it was a, the Morecambe and Wise thing. Went to the West End, went to Broadway. It was a huge hit. And um, it, it, was, it was a comic duo called Right Size. It was Hamish and Sean Foley. And, uh, and Ken Branagh directed it. Toby Jones was in it. Um, and it was about a comic duo. And it was based on the Morecambe and Wise thing anyway. So they had a feature in it called... Um, well, they had the, the Bastille sketch. You know, like the play what I wrote was, was Ernie's play. And I was the first guest because it opened in Liverpool. They wanted somebody who was known in Liverpool. So myself and Sue Johnson alternated it. But I was going to be the first guest on. Um, and so I went down to London and I, for like four or five weeks, rehearsed it with the guys. And I actually literally just sat there and watched them because I didn't have a great deal to do. And I watched Ken Branagh work and it was just amazing. He's just incredible. And uh, it was such an honour, you know, and, and then um, we did it. And then um, I was on call because whenever anyone in the West End called in ill or couldn't make it, I get a phone call from David Pugh, who's the producer, and say, can you get down here in a couple of hours? I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I knew it. And I'd go down. Ken would be downstairs. We'd, we'd run it in the bar. And, it, it, yeah. and then, um, you know, and, and it was a delight, you know, I was doing a, a few shows in the West End. Um and he remembered we were. I was having dinner one night. We were talking about films and what we liked. And I said, "Oh, you know what? I'd love to get in, in a film where we get savagely murdered by, you know, a monster or you know." And he remembered. And many years later, I got a phone call from the agent. Said Ken Branagh, you know, wanted to call him. Oh yeah, and he'd remembered this this uh, time and said, "Look," and of course the connection with Joyce. Um, he said, "Look, I've got this thing. It's a film and." It's it's a spit in a cough, and please don't be insulted. What well, I promise you, if you do it, it won't end up on the cutting room floor. And it was about, and I it was a thing called um, Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit, as Kevin Costner, Chris Pine, huge um, Hollywood uh, action movie. And I play this guy who's a, a factory worker, and there's a there's a, a sleeper Russian agent who uh, is mobilized, and so he goes around killing everybody he knows, and then he's got a you know, set a bomb off in New York. So I'm this guy who works for him at the plant, and he and I go, hey, mate, what are you doing? And he sticks this knife in me and guts me. I go, ah, you know. Anyway, die horribly, and and we filmed it on the Bond set in London, we, we Elstree and uh, Pinewood. I'm sorry, and um, I had a vo voice 
a voice coach, uh, all kinds of people. You know, I had him one day, and um, it was just amazing, and I loved it. And we went, my, my daughter and I, she was living in London at the time, we went along to see the, the crew viewing of the film. And when this little piece came along, it's literally, I have a line to say. And um, when it comes up to this point, I come on screen, Everybody in the in the audience went Sinbad, Sinbad. You know, I was kind of it was really funny, and I you know I, I was sitting around people and you you can't get away you can't get away from him, can you? Couldn't get away from it, but but it was interesting. Um, when we were filming, and I was sat around, I'd you know it was the last day of the filming for the film, and these two guys came over to me from the camera crew, and one said to me, uh, Mickey, you won't won't remember me. Um, but I was a a trainee um, twenty five years ago, whatever it was, twenty years ago, at uh, at Brookside, and they were only kids, and and I said, oh, right. he said, yeah, and he said, and he was as well, you know, and they they um, trained at Brookie after leaving college, and they remembered having good times and fun, and I, and and here they are working on this huge Hollywood movie. They work all over the world. They've got massive careers now, and I was I was chuffed to bits. To hear that, so uh, and to meet those guys, it was lovely. A nice little, uh, little pointer. So I suppose the final question from us then is, and I ask everybody this: um, when you look back at your life and your career and everything, and you think about getting that part in Brookside, um, you've obviously done lots of other things. Where does your time in Brookside sit? How important was that period that you had in that show? Oh, I mean. I have to say right up the top you know it's it's um i've so much to be grateful for um it was tremendous i had a, a great time a lot of years at home and working with tremendous people and and, the, and that fear that you have um when you do a soap i mean it has come back and and that haunted me but it's sort of whack me around the ear once or twice you know and you think oh will it ruin my career it never has um I've literally got jobs in the business from Brookside. And and the great thing is Brookside was such a training ground for people. Um, they went on to do, well, so many of them, were camera operators and whatever, went on to do other things. I mean, Lewis and I did a, an episode of Moving On, which has been shown in a, a week or so. Um, we didn't have any scenes together, but um, the director from there was... Um, a, a trainee at Brookie and, and uh, you know, and was a camera operator and then went on to direct and Colin McCune as a producer at LA Productions. Um, I, I've had phone calls uh, from people who I've worked with who said, would you mind coming and doing a day or two on this or coming and do... And, um, of course, Ken Horn was a uh, producer of The Royal and, um, you know, he invited me along for that and, and he was a camera operator and then... And then um, a director of photography, as we called a lighting cameraman in those days, and then he went on and he produces. Well, he's he's producing um, Line of Duty now, so I've had jobs from it, you know, um, directly, and or I've been on set and people have gone, hey, you know, I remember you know your days in Brookside, and so it's all it's it's never been um, an albatross, you know, it's it's always been something. I look back with uh, even more so now. I mean, obviously, for the first few years, you try and get away from it. You know, you, you've said all you want to say about it. You 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 want to move on. You want to look up. But now I kind of go. You know what? I I embrace it more now than I did, and uh, and and I just look back fondly. You know, 
and because I'm still in touch with so many of the people that were there, um, for me, it, it's it's it'll always be right up there with anything I've ever done, or will do, or or may do. Michael, it's been absolutely wonderful talking to you. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Cheers, William. Thank you for joining us. I hope you enjoyed it as well, William. I did certainly. Nice to meet you, Will. And you, thank you, Michael. Uh, you know, next uh, if we if we meet any coffee or anything like that, you might let you get a word in. <laughs> All right, it's no problem. It's nice to meet you. Thank you again. And you, cheers. It's been a pleasure. Cheers. You're listening to Distinct Nostalgia, home to some incredible interviews with stars from all your favourite soaps. If you enjoyed today's episode, why not head over to distinctnostalgia.com for a treasure trove of programmes just like this. Lisa Williamson of Hollyoaks fame talks about life on the programme. So we all got to know each other quite well. If you were chatting to some of the writers about something you've been getting up to, they would sort of write that in. So you started realising that some of your personality traits would come into the show. I got the script and I thought, what have I been up to? I got pregnant. I had the child adopted. It was, you know, and you just think, wow, the writers have really gone to town for me today. You know, it's, it was great, fantastic. Andrew Linford and Mark Homer reflect on sharing their first kiss on EastEnders in the 1990s. When the, the Blackpool episode came out, front page of the tabloids, it was like, get this scum off our TV and things like that. Just horrendous stuff. It, it was kind of the start of, of, of a big thing, really, and we're privileged to be involved in, in storylines like that, really am. And Nick Cochran discusses his life on the street as we continue our celebration of Corrie at 60. They were just brilliant with us, you know, because we were a couple of little sh- who've fortunately found the way into the TV's biggest show without really knowing what they're doing. That's bottom line, that's where me and Simon were at that point. Myself and Simon are old school people. We were brought up properly, mate, and, and so there was a lot of respect then, more than there is now. These programmes and many more are available at distinctnostalgia.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to be notified whenever a new episode becomes available. And if you like what we do, then please consider supporting us on Patreon. Every penny helps us to make even more amazing content just for you. Go to distinctnostalgia.com and click on the donate button. Thank you for listening and bye for now. Distinct Nostalgia is brought to you in partnership with Life Rooms and Mersey Care NHS Foundation Trust. We've lots of activities for you to do at home at liferooms.org. Staying well, staying home.